Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, brought to you by Roast House Pub, one of Frederick's finest craft beer and culinary destinations, where great people come to drink amazing beer. Visit them to track their taps and menu at roasthousepub.com, or download the digital pour app to track what's on tap. This is episode 119, and it'll probably be one of many episodes of this year where we talk about the ridiculous laws that affect the alcohol industries in Maryland. Um, I'm actually surprised it's taken me this long this year. Um, I'm your host, Chris Sands, and today we're talking to, it's a grassroots organization to try and help make better sense of the mess that is Maryland's alcohol laws. Um, it's called Maryland's for Better Beer and Wine Laws, and we're joined by two of the volunteers in, involved with this organization, Greg Parnas and Wes Hogan-Togler. Did I get that right? Very good. Nice. Say hello, gentlemen. Hi. Hello. All right. So, Greg, you have a long list of uh, attributes to you. Uh, you're a local brewery attorney. Is that yes. in the D.C. and Maryland area? Yeah, or? yeah. So you help uh, breweries with all the regulatory hurdles and Indeed. all those yeah, fun yeah. things. So you are intimately uh, knowledgeable of the what they face. <laughs> yeah, I mean, good for you know my salary, not so great for them necessarily. <laughs> um, also, you are a contributing writer for DCBeer.com, yep. so another reason why you know about beer. And um, you're the counsel for the MBBWL. Yeah, yeah, I'm the, I'm the legislative counsel. So uh, in that role, I kind of keep the group updated as to uh, what bill's been introduced, what the current legal landscape is. Uh, when we get to that bridge, you know, uh, kind of law bills we should be proposing, the language for them, et cetera. And Wes is the president and founder of Go Brew. Uh, homebrew club in only the only area only maryland yeah, yeah. so i'm guessing you do a lot of home brewing yes i do <laughs> so another expert in beer yeah and so i i guess we should just start with what exactly is and the name is pretty self-explanatory but what what exactly is marylanders for better beer and wine laws yeah it, it's a long organization name <laughs> so i apologize for but that there's no ambiguity on yeah what no it's <laughs> it's very clear on that front um so marylanders for better beer and wine laws is a group that was started um i think around 2007 or 8 i believe uh, by this gentleman named Adam Borden, uh, who was a big wine enthusiast and was upset that he couldn't get wine basically shipped to his home that he wanted to, like people in most other states at that time could, or many other states at that time could. So he started a campaign and he found you know other consumers and he found other uh, interested parties among you know the retailers and the local wineries to kind of join together and push for some pro-consumer reforms. Um, so that was the group that was responsible in 2011 for uh, pushing the direct shipment to wine law in Maryland. So the reason that you can get wine shipped to your home is because of Marylanders for better beer and wine laws. Uh, they followed that up in 2012 with passing the law that allowed BYOB for wine at restaurants. That was, was its own big, ridiculous fight. Um, and then uh, the last big initiative they tried to do was around kind of the 2015, 2016 time period and that was to uh, expand beer and wine sales to grocery and chain stores, which unfortunately didn't really go anywhere. Um, 
right now that's not a big part of our current agenda, uh, but it was something the group pushed for in the past. I think that's one thing um, a lot of craft beer fans may not be aware of that right now that that industry is going through what the wine industry did five, six, seven years ago. That industry is just much more mature, but a, a decade ago was as crippled in a lot of aspects as the craft beer industry is. Yeah, certainly. And in Maryland, which is it's really weird coming from the t- state that touts itself as the free state and <laughs> never enacted <laughs> officially enacting uh, prohibition, but yet we... Yeah, uh, I mean, Wes actually just made this comment yesterday. Uh, we had our first event at Brookville Beer Farm. Uh, we're doing, I mean, we'll talk about it a little more, but we're doing a series of these outreach and fundraising events at breweries throughout the state. And the goal is to have an event in each county so that you know anybody that's local can come by um, and find out more about, you know, why your local brewery can't do certain things or why you as a consumer can't do certain things. But we were at Brookville and that was Wes's exact comment was. Yeah, it just is not very friendly at all to craft brew industry. It's just, it's, it's bizarre. People don't even know what they don't know right now about how bad those laws are. Um, I took a trip to Indianapolis years back and found out that I was living in this strange bubble of Maryland and a CVS had liquor on the shelves. And I'm like, why doesn't, why don't, why can't I have that? Yeah. <laughs> Not necessarily yeah, liquor, but you know. Something. Yeah. Something. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, what do I have to track down a grocery store that has the only, the only uh, wine and beer service? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, well, what, what Wes is getting at is that, um, in the counties now, it's kind of like one license per grocery store per 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 company. So, uh, I mean, this is not something I've looked in a lot myself, but from my understanding, there's one giant in your county that can have it or yeah. one, you know, Whole Foods or whatever it is. Um, and that's the current status of things. I think in... I think Frederick County doesn't have any at all. Right? Yeah, yeah. So it'd I mean, be, we have it'd be, some... It'd be county by county yeah. would be determined. There is one county... Um, in the eastern shore that allows it uh but outside of that not not really um yeah uh but yeah so it's that's one of the many things that's kind of uh peculiar about the ways that uh breweries are regulated and and consumers that are supposed to be treated like adults are also regulated in the state is kind of interesting so what is how um does the the MBBWL, what is their action? What are you doing to move forward your goals? And then I guess then we'll go to what the specific like line items. Right, right. Um, So right now what we're doing is uh, kind of starting to just get people informed and organized about the issue. Um, The way that we've started this particular initiative dealing with beer reform is by contacting people who are involved in local homebrew clubs throughout the state, um, because the determination was made, those are your most dedicated activists, and those are the people that already like beer a lot, and it's yeah. part of their lives, and that's who's a little gonna, easier to get them on board. Yeah, yeah, that's who's going to care the most, and then from there, branching out to the wider public. Um, the basic actions are the same that almost any grassroots group would take, which is, you know, you get people signed up for mailing lists and we're going to have a tool that uh, activists are going to use to kind of track their activity. 
you get people informed on the issue. And then when it comes to specific bills, you know, you tell them, hey, contact representative and call them, which is usually the best thing. Um, or barring that, you know, email them or hit them up on whatever social media and say, you know, I live here, I want you to do X. Um, that's kind of the first wave. I think later on as the group grows, we might try to do things like hill climbs where we take uh, groups in organized events to Annapolis and we do, you know, lobby day where people, we will send people up to meet with their, with their representatives or the staff, those representatives that deal with alcohol issues. Um, and we'll just do a big day. We'll try to bring a few hundred people to Annapolis all at once to meet with their elected representatives. Um, because yeah, I know now the Brewers Association at least has industry uh, people go on Mondays to th- they take them to Annapolis and to be present and to talk to the representatives and yeah certainly Bam uh, the Brewers Association of Maryland yeah. Bam uh, does does do their own lobbying stuff. Um, our organization is sort of is independent of BAM, yeah. um, and it's a bit more consumer focused, um, which isn't to say that the goals don't line up uh, necessarily, and we may push for some of the same things, some same types of changes. I mean, uh, but the agendas aren't necessarily you know one and the same, um, and also you know I think that uh, if we're being just forthright, you know most of the the brewers are very young as businesses. They've only been around for five. I think the majority have been around for less than five years. Most yeah. have been around for less than three years. So they just haven't had the time that the wholesalers or some of the older retailers have had to build those relationships. Um, you know, the people that are lobbying on behalf of those other industry groups, they've spent decades developing those relationships. And so I think in order to get the ball moving a bit more so, there's going to have to be a stronger voice from consumers saying, no, I want to be able to go to a tap room and buy, you know, the product that I want. I want to be able to get beer shipped to my home. I want to be able to do, you know, X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Cause while the opinions of the business owners themselves obviously matter, um, us as consumers have much larger numbers and, have much more influence over what uh, legislators are going to do if we, if there are enough people voicing their opinion. I mean, certainly we have the votes. Uh, you know, I, I think I uh, we had an interview recently with DC Beer where I said, you know, your your elected representative doesn't work for a campaign donor; they work for you. And so, unless you decide to become a more active citizen, that that dynamic isn't going to play itself out, right? They are going to listen to those industry groups and whoever has happened to have been there for a long time and donated the most amount of money. So the, what do, what does your organization see as the top issues um, or I guess negative impacts of the current laws? Wes, do you want to talk about any of it? No, you go ahead. Okay. I'll, I'll chime in. Um, sure. Uh, I guess from a consumer perspective, uh, one of the things that people not, might not realize is so there's, there's four different classes of breweries in the state, <laughs> and we're going to try not to turn this to a legal lecture, but the main one was known as a class five brewery or production brewery. That's what Union is. That's what, you know, if you're, we're here in Frederick, that's what Flying Dog, that's what Attaboy is. I think that's what Idiom is. Um, that's what most of your local breweries are here in Frederick County. Um, if you go there, they are limited in terms of the to-go sales, selling you no more than 288 ounces, which is one case of beer. 
um, which might sound like a lot, but if they have a big can release day and you happen to be, you know, you live in some other big further, further away part of the state, you might want to buy more product because you're not going to really be there. And there's no, um, public interest that's advanced by that limitation, right? You know, like I'm not naive enough to think this is the way things actually work, but at least in theory, in our more or less representative form of government, every law should be furthering some sort of legitimate public interest. I mean, especially when you look at the standpoint, like I can go to any place that just about any place that sells beer and buy a packaged product of like multiple, uh, macro beers that are packaged in more than a case yeah, already yeah. so yeah there's you're no, already just by carrying one package you're you're purchasing more than yeah, what a, a 30 pack is is more yeah, yeah there's and the thing, that's the thing uh that i believe bothers us and bothers most consumers the most is there's no public interest that's advanced by that right. all it is is somebody determined that should have been the volume yeah who <laughs> may or may not have ever been to a brewery or know anything about a brewery. And that's just the number that got put out. Yeah. And, and the, the, it goes to both sides, right? It's consumer as well as the marketer, the, the, whoever the retailer may be. It's, it puts the handcuffs on everybody. I, I just sent a buddy of mine down to Wilmington, North Carolina to go pick up some beer for me. And if they had those laws down there, he wouldn't have been able to bring any of that beer back for me. So... Yeah. It's uh it's not really great for, for really anyone. Yeah. Um so that's something that there, right? The specific limitations on the total volume you can sell out of your tap room. Again, it's it's hard to know what legitimate public interest is being advanced by that. You know, how how do you as some, you know, tax paying regular citizen who lives in Frederick benefit from your local brewery not being able to sell you how much you want to buy you know i mean obviously there's obvious restrictions for you know drunk driving or whatever yeah. other like- and actually that kind of goes counterintuitive to uh, preventing drinking and driving you're there's no limit on what they can sell you to consume in the tap room right well barring but, well uh, other than i mean the obvious like you can't serve someone who's intoxicated yeah, yeah, yeah. um but you are limiting what someone can take home with them to safely yeah, yeah. consume where there's not a risk of driving. Right, right. No, it's it's very odd. Um, yeah, I mean, just limitations of that nature are kind of weird. Um, you know, the uh, Marylanders for Bitterbin Wine Laws had to have a major campaign where they had to fight a lot of really weird uh, misconceptions when they just wanted you to be able to do BYOB for wine. That was a huge fight. And part of that fight was that any restaurant that decides they're going to allow their consumers to BYOB for wine uh, has to go and apply for a license from their local uh, licensing board in their county. There's no fee for the license, mind you. So it's not even like a tax revenue thing. It's that they have to take this extra step of applying for this license for the privilege of not charging you money. Yeah, that... And I, 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 I would love to hear the rationale of what, like, what is that licensing? Like, typically you can, you can get behind and understand a licensing process if there's education behind it. Like, you're teaching a procedure, but they already know how to open a wine bottle that, that they can sell themselves. Yeah, yeah. Like, what, what special th- yeah. reason um, the, is there for Yeah, that? the reason I bring that up is that one of our initiatives this year is to push, for, to expand that to beer. So... Um, when they passed the the corkage the last corkage law, um, it was only for wine. 
for some reason beer is not included in that uh in that stipulation um so we're just trying to expand it because if you're doing something for wine there's no real reason to exclude beer from that um so that's kind of the 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 thing there yeah but there's specific stipulations in law even for wine that are just kind of weird um and unnecessary can you can you explain that in the like the homebrew aspect oh yeah yeah absolutely yeah so wes brings up a, a point that we kind of talked about before is that um there's homebrew clubs throughout maryland and when they do events at you know uh, a brew you know uh, a restaurant or a bar um there are sometimes issues where places are a little hesitant to allow them to do that because they're essentially bringing outside you know beer into this place um and by expanding uh, the corkage fee for BYOB, it'll make it easier to allow those clubs to meet at bars and restaurants and to hold competitions at other places. The way it ha- happens now is that anytime a club does that, they essentially have to get a private event license. Okay, and it's yeah. more that they're renting. Yeah, just yeah. The so space they essentially have to create a private not... event and do a private, essentially designate a private event and pay for like an event fee for that. Uh, but if we can amend this BYOB thing to include beer, then they would just pay whatever corkage fee that restaurant or bar or, you know, brewery, what have you, yeah. would want them to, to pay. And then they could host their event without having to apply for any specific licensing. And so it does make it easier for homebrew clubs as well to um, have their events without having to really have the same concerns. Yeah, would, that that makes sense. I mean, I actually wouldn't have ever even thought about that. I was just thinking from the standpoint of like you're going someplace that doesn't have anything you would want to drink, so you just bring your own with you and have them uh, pay them to open it or however that restaurant or bar addresses it. The, yeah, themselves. no, it would, it would apply in that case as well, right? Yeah. Um, the big fight I think that happened. I was talking to Adam Borden, who's the president of MBBW, about it uh, when they did it for wine was. The concern was that if some restaurants did it, it would put undue pressure on their competing bars and restaurants to do the same. And so what? Yeah, it's so, so, the, so they're competing in the market yeah. for a service. <laughs> that's that's suddenly a terrible thing that will destroy the I, state I of America. I, I wonder in in places that allow that, is it even really that big of a, a thing? No. I like I know personally, I would never bring. I mean, it probably plays into my laziness. I like, I would never bring my own alcohol someplace right. to drink there with me because I just wouldn't want to carry it with me. Yeah, like, I mean, I know. Have. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know. Um, you know, I I grew up in Jersey primarily before moving to to this part uh, of the U.S. And uh, BYOB for wine has been there for forever. And what ends up happening is that's you know restaurants that. Um, are either prohibited from or, or or more importantly are like just don't want to pay for the licensing fees right. to get that like, oh, so alcohol that's license. mainly you know it, it tends to be smaller like um on pop restaurants a lot of the places where i live that were um you know uh had like there were family run like ethnic restaurants they might not want to have to worry about having an alcohol program um, or a wine program, rather, and so they would just let people bring it in. Yeah. Well, the, in that in that case, that makes complete sense. Yeah, and so I think this would be bad at that too. Is either one on the very high end, um, you know, you're going to some super, you know, upscale restaurant, and there's you know the chef that you really love, and you happen to you know have a specific thing you want to drink, and that restaurant doesn't serve it. Yeah. Um, 
or two on the kind of more lower end uh, in places that don't, you know, have that the serve food and have full full, you know, lunch dinner menu, but don't happen to serve alcohol, it'll open up the option to to let you bring your product in there. So maybe uh, Panera will start allowing you to bring your own, <laughs> <laughs> your own beer. I don't know Panera, but yeah, like maybe you know yeah. a, a, a smaller a local restaurant or, yeah, might. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so let's um we're gonna take a real quick break to uh, thank the Roast House Pub for their continued support of the Uncapped Podcast. And when we get back, um, there's a couple other legal examples that we were discussing beforehand that are really on the level of absurdity that we'll talk about. Uh, so we'll be, we'll be back shortly. A huge thank you to our presenting sponsor, Roast House Pub, which is located at 5700 Urbana Pike in Frederick, Maryland. If you have listened to this podcast before, you have definitely heard me go on and on about the beer dinners that Chef Nico creates. Simply put, they are amazing. But Roast House Pub has much more to offer. Their friendly staff is knowledgeable about beer and will help you choose from among the 20 beers they have on tap. In addition to the awesome beer selection, the food is always amazing. Make sure to follow them on Facebook and check their website at www.roasthousepub.com to keep up to date on their constant stream of events. All right, so first, like, let's talk about what we're drinking now because you, of course, brought an assortment of Maryland beer with you. I brought a couple examples of great American beer, I mean, Maryland beer, also American, uh, for us to try. Um, but like, I feel like we're drinking a very underappreciated style of beer right now. And I can't remember, I was at a brewery recently where we were discussing that, the the ESB does not get the the respect that it deserves, I think. And um, the lowest Lord ESB from Denizens is an amazing example of an ESB. Yeah, so an ESB is actually, so there's, uh, it's actually a name brand. So it's a style that one specific brewery out of England, uh, this name is escaping me right now, uh, makes it's it's essentially the brand name for what's for what's otherwise known as a strong bitter and it's basically like an english mild with a bit more oomph um so i would kind of compare it more to traditional american pale ale it's like mm. the english equivalent it's sort of like okay. it, it was it was a basically a version made for export um to the colonies in sort of uh, the caribbean and, and america from my understanding although uh, Mike Stein, who does Lost Loggers, be able to like fill you on anything I get wrong, yeah. which is probably a lot. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so it's a style that's kind of got a nice malt body, um, but it's fairly light, uh, and it's got like a hop character, but it's not hit you over the face. It's just, you know, a more approachable version of an IPA is kind of how I think of it. Yeah, it's it's a lot of flavor, but um, very easy drinking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's, I think, you know, because both the, the IPA and the ESB come out of, you know, the desire to send beer that will last, they're a little more hopped than like what may have happened traditionally in like yeah. the local home market. Um, but this one is just milder and I think it's got a more robust malt body usually in terms, not, not in terms of like mouthfeel, but in terms of like the, the malt character. Um, and yeah, I love it. And Jeff Ramirez over Denizens does an excellent version uh, and it's one of their flagships, uh, which, you know, are becoming rare nowadays. Yeah. Very uh, rare. Yeah. Um, but like we were saying, you know, Kushwa, which is a brewery that gets a lot of um, attention for its hazy IPAs and other things, you know, their, uh, their ESB 
and a couple of their styles they do that are more classic. You know, I love th- those are my favorite beers there, uh, but they just don't get as much attention because they're a little more subtle. Yeah, they're and they're not in vogue. Right, from right. The the mass, uh, the typical craft beer fan. Right, right. right. I'm. I, I just, you know, now that I'm in my 30s, which doesn't make me an old man, but, you know, I'm in my (laughs) mid-30s, I've, you know, I just can't do a lot of those 10% beers anymore, 12% beers. You know, I might split one with a friend, Uh, but if I'm just like, you know, at the end of a day or, you know, I'm at home, like still typing out a memo or something, uh, and I still need to have my wits about me, this is the kind of beer that I want to drink is just something like nice well done balance that you know you can just have a couple of and enjoy your evening all right so enough talk about good stuff yeah, yeah. um the actually there there were two two um uh, things of ridiculousness that um we were talking about beforehand that we should bring up um one of them is the what can is definitely 100 percent motivated by spite which is typically I, I'm I can get completely behind um, <laughs> being a spiteful person myself, but the the uh, task force that was put forth to investigate whether a um, legis- a group of people who have never had any kind of accusations of not doing their jobs properly. Um, whether or not they should have that removed from them to create a whole new body, um, a l- part of the government at what will definitely be enormous expense uh, to regulate the the alcohol laws in Maryland. Specifically, they they want to strip Peter Francho f- from that part of his duties. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think Wes is a big fan of government waste, so he can probably talk about this <laughs> a little more passion than I can. Oh, there's so many things. How, how do where do I start with this? I it's mean, so Peter Francho has been doing such a great job on all this stuff in Maryland, and to have. That one person stripped of his duties and put a whole team of people together, the the requirement on them, and if, even if they could do that job, they couldn't get to everywhere in Maryland all the time to do what they need to do anyway. Um, seems like a very ridiculous, a, a ridiculous, as you put it, ridiculousness of what Maryland does with their their money and everything else, and and the non free state. Yeah. Uh, so to provide a little more context, um, yeah. last year, Peter Franchot put forth what was known as the Reform, uh, the reform on Tap Bill, uh, which came out of his Reform on Tap Task Force. The six-pack of legislation? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it had, uh, well, that that's... Oh, no, that's what that was what Bam did. Yeah, Never yeah, mind. Yeah. So he put forth his a single was bill. was a world without limits. Yeah, a world that's without limits. Yeah, so he put forth <laughs> this bill that was sort of um, this, you know... Uh, very utopic idea yeah. of what Maryland uh, regulations could look like vis-a-vis uh, breweries and consumers. Um, and it was going to change a lot of the issues that existed around how breweries function and make things easier, make things a little more sane, I think simplify some of the regulatory structure, etc. Uh, he went about it in a way that was very aggressive. Uh, I often ca- um, describe it as scorched earth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. He, uh, you know, I think made... I don't know if you'll call a mistake, but he 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 essentially named some names in Annapolis and called out some behavior that he viewed as being potentially 
uh, corrupt or otherwise inappropriate. And that uh, bothered a lot of the powers that be. I think that might be an understatement. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so what happened last year is that basically uh, all the legislation that BAM was approaching, the boogeyman bill that was coming out of um, the Economic Matters Committee to essentially undo all the parts of HB 1283 that happened to be positive uh, for brewers. Oh, yeah, that was the one that Derek Davis kept trying to get people to say was uh, good for brewers since uh, the previous years was so bad. Yes, yes, yes. Um, you know, all the other legislation, most of even I think the local bills, they all went down. Nothing got yeah. voted on, nothing got approved a committee except for one bill. And that bill was the uh, the bill to create the task force and alcohol regulation, and it had a it, there's a longer name for it, but it's basically the task force on examining alcohol regulation in Maryland. Um, that task force had four meetings this fall. Uh, it was primarily created and staffed by people who were pretty hostile to brewers, um, to pro consumer reforms, and especially to to Comptroller Francho. Uh, they just released their recommendations. Um, there's a whole list of them, and we'll probably link to them so people can, uh, on, a, on the Facebook group and on the websites, people can, can read the whole document. But the three big things he recommended were, one, um, stripping Comptroller Franchot of his authority to regulate alcohol, uh, and I believe with it also tobacco uh, products as well, because that's one of the other things the Comptroller's office regulates. They were going to create a whole separate enforcement uh, agency uh, and leave the Comptroller's office with just the or this is the recommendation with just the um, ability to, I guess, collect taxes. Uh, the second thing was a requirement that any alcohol-related bill, doesn't matter what it is, um, has to have a, a, what's known as a public, a public health statement in it addressing how that bill would affect public health, uh, which sounds reasonable until you get into a little bit of the details of what that would mean. And the third thing was uh, the third big recommendation was passing a law that would prevent any count any county from further liberalizing the laws around chain store sales of beer and wine. That um, on that issue, I can never remember. Is that something that craft brewers are behind, or they're not behind? So I think that BAM or has not chosen care? to not take a position okay. on that issue. Um, it more directly implicates what's happening between the wholesalers and the retailers. Um, and because they've chosen to make a fairly strong alliance to oppose pro-brewer reforms, um, I think that's one that neither of them is going to really try to, um, change. Okay. Like, meaning neither the retailers nor the wholesalers are going to try to challenge each other on the issue of grocery store sales. Yeah. Um, because that's not, that's just not a fight that anybody really wants to have right now. Um, but that was the other third big recommendation. Um, at least as of, I think, Friday or Thursday, which is when I looked at it, none of those recommendations uh, from that task force have been turned into legislation yet. So we're still in this kind of wait and see mode. Um, it seems at, highly unlikely that that there isn't going to be anyone that will sponsor. Uh, con considering the, the group behind the scenes that are behind that task force that there isn't going to be someone putting forth yeah i mean we'll have to see um you know how much appetite there is for what happens it's definitely something that marylanders for better being wine laws are keeping our eyes out on but until we see legislative language it's a little hard to put out a position yeah because it's a position on 
kind of nothing right now. <laughs> yeah, pure speculation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's not something any of us are really interested in doing. Uh, it definitely, I think, should concern people that this is, you know, this was a public task force that used public resources. And so it should concern people that there was at least enough uh, support for these types of changes for this task force to be staffed and to get funding. Um, and beyond that, you know, uh, we'll see. Yeah, and I think the the stance is like people who are who are against the idea. It's not that um, people don't want the enforcement removed from the comptroller's office because they're just letting people get away with everything or skating oh. on it. It's that it's wasteful. You already have a government body that's doing a good mm-hmm. job that has. I can't. They've they've put out statistics of. The enforcement that they have done, things that they have improved and fixed, the number of people that they've penalized and caught doing things. Um, right. So it's it's not like they're not doing a good job at it. It it's just yeah they want to punish him. Yeah, which the, the, the basic, is speculation, obviously, but it seems obvious that. I mean that it's not speculation. The 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 explicit language is that. Because Comptroller oh, yeah, because Rancho so... has, has shown himself to be an advocate for local manufacturers, like local breweries, I forgot that, wineries, yeah, that was in the actual uh, yes. literature from the recommendation. Yeah, yeah. The, that his advocacy on behalf of this interest creates a conflict for him as the chief enforcement officer. Um, I think what's not appreciated is that while Comptroller Franchot is in charge of the agency as a whole... Um, you know, Director Kelly, who's the person that that he appointed, that he works with, to who's the head, who's the director of enforcement, is a lifelong public servant. He was a police officer for twenty some odd years. He now is director of enforcement, and when it comes to enforcing the laws, they're you know they're by the book. And when Director Kelly, I think, was unfortunately challenged on that last legislative session. Um, those accusations that his office wasn't doing their job were rebuked really strongly by remember, a lot of yeah. parties, uh, and rightly so, because he is an upstanding public servant, and he's somebody who does his job very well. I think there's a difference between saying we're going to enforce the laws versus saying, while we're going to enforce these laws, they are not good for the state. And it's possible to hold those positions simultaneously. Yeah, You can think that the law doesn't make sense and still enforce it yeah there are i i'm sure that there are plenty of police officers <laughs> that may not agree with every law that they have to enforce it happens every day like people are capable of doing their jobs without being swayed by right. um yeah so, so oh sorry go ahead some, some of the stuff that we're we're talking about is is above most people's knowledge of what is going on so that's kind of why we're here too i I want to put that in there that all these things we're talking about get very very complex and those those pieces and parts to discern them as just a public person and go i really need to voice my opinion on this and not knowing exactly how you're voicing your opinion I, i made kind of the mistake because they were doing false narratives on the beer laws um like I guess last year sometime. And as I read through them and I get dug deeper into it, I was like, well, this is, this is total crap. <laughs> and I was like, it's the reverse, right? So by, by engaging with our web pages and our Facebook, um, 
you get a lot more it's it's a cleaner version. The fog is removed from what that legislation all is. And I, I think it's really important to let people know that that stuff is really out there for them. So they know it's, it's not some FUD that a legislator is doing yeah. in, in Annapolis that's what that wants to be on their agenda. Right. Um, so another, another point that you had listed was, um, the public health statement, and you said that there are implications to that that uh, are that go a level below where you at at first glance you would say, well, yeah, that makes sense, that's good. But so, what are the negative implications of that? So it, it basically uh, creates a underlying assumption in the law that any reform of alcohol laws by necessity impacts public health. And it, it essentially, it's an assumption. Um, there isn't a lot of data to support that assumption. But if the recommendation was put into law, it's essentially a, a what I would argue is a false assumption that's then indoctrinated in every alcohol bill. So for example, let's say you were going to change franchise law. That's not something the group is pushing for, but that's a big topic, yeah. right? Um, and franchise law basically just governs uh, the relationship between brewers and distributors. It's more or less just a business contract. Yeah, it's a contract really? law. You would have to have a public health statement assessing how does that change in franchise law impact public health. Yeah. Even yeah. though it has nothing to do with public health, right? Um, you know, changing uh, the limits on how much a brewery can produce. So just because a brewery can produce more doesn't create any implication for public health in and of itself. But the recommendation presupposes that it does. And so it requires you to, you know, examine and put out a justification or otherwise essentially uh, do a study of how this change in legislation might impact public health. It, it creates an underlying assumption for any pro-reform bill that reform impacts and more likely than not negatively impacts public health. Okay. Right. So instead of like the starting at a default of that it doesn't that that kind of you're starting at the default of it impacts negatively public health right prove why it doesn't right for any change yeah. that that that's the kind of more insidious aspect of what such a requirement would, would do from from a from a, a legal perspective um that's sort of the, the second thing and yeah that that's that's why that's a problem uh potentially at least Okay. I mean, that makes complete sense. I hadn't thought of that. Um, so the other um, thing we were talking about beforehand was uh, plays into the, the different classes of licenses. And one of them is the farm brewery. Right. And I just found the like some of the regulations that farm breweries have interesting. So I think we should just talk about that because I, I think other people would find it. It's always funny to laugh at the government, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, yesterday we had our first fundraising and outreach event, which we can we can talk about those a bit more uh, later on, uh, at Brookville Beer Farm, uh, which is located in Brookville, Maryland. It's a wonderful place for anybody that hasn't been there. Uh, we're going to be drinking their beer in a little bit, hopefully. Um, and it's a farm brewery. Uh, it's owns a Class A brewery. And one of the things that a farm brewery can do is it can sell beer, and food. But those food items are specifically listed. There's a list of 16 specific food items that a farm brewery can sell you. It can't sell you anything outside of that list of 16 items. Uh, 
but it can sell you anything in that. And it's a list that used to be shorter, which means that every time there was somebody tried to push a change, like they wanted to offer pizza like Brookville does, or they wanted to offer some other food item, they had to go to Annapolis and pass a statewide law, which means that several hundred of your delegates and state senators <laughs> spent time determining uh, exactly which items you may or may not purchase at a farm brewery. And to give you an idea, because we're going over this list, you have like vinegar is number 12, um, but then condiments are number 16. So clearly there's a determination made that vinegar is not a condiment. Um, and this was a, something that your legislature spent time determining. And that it, it's just, uh, I, I would love to go back through the archives of video to see if, like, was there an actual floor debate on that? Or was it kind of just a rubber stamp thing? Or was, like, their legislators had a strong opinion, like, no, vinegar is not a condiment. This needs to be. Right, right. Was it, you know, a last-minute amendment that yeah. made the change? Someone was or, filibustering you know, it. <laughs> um, I haven't looked into the, into the legislative history of that specific yeah. part of the law. Um, because I have a life, uh, <laughs> but you know, I'm sure that you could find something in there as to why the specific 16, li- 16 item list was yeah. going. Right. But the thing is, it's about farm breweries, right? And farms have these things called animals. So let's say you had a farm that was growing chickens and it happened to want, and it passed the various health code inspections and it wanted to happen to, to serve you the chickens that are grew on the farm. Right. Or, you know, they lay eggs. They want to serve you an, uh, a breakfast sandwich or whatever it was. That's not one of the 16 items. They'd have to go to Annapolis. Annapolis would have to, all your several delegates and senators have to determine, are we going to add chicken to the list and make it 17 items instead of 16 <laughs> items? How do we feel about chicken at a farm brewery? Mm-hmm. So it, it's eggs. really, like, it's on par of if every time a restaurant wanted to make a menu change that they had to get approval from the government. That is the way the law is currently written, yes. Um. So, so actually, would this fall into that the public health requirement? If that if that became law, would those changes then also need a public health statement? Do you think? Or no, so, would so that basically, be... the the way it works is that you know food is is governed by usually a local health board. Yeah. So, so in most places, these types of minutia aren't handled via statewide legislation. Yeah. Well, what happened is like if you're a brewery, you know, farm brewery, and you happen to have animals there and you wanted to be able to serve those animals, right? You would maybe, and it wasn't otherwise explicitly allowed in the law, you would petition the local, you know, health board, local licensing commission. They'd have a hearing or two. They'd pass a new regulation, like a local county regulation. It would happen in like whatever, a month, two months. Nobody has to worry about it. And yeah, as long as you about had to, and you would abide by the same health codes as any restaurant would. And then you would serve your chickens. It's fine. Um, and that's the kind of the, the, the way it should have this. Like, you know, when it comes to the, that small minutia, in most places, it's governed by, a, a, you know, a regulatory process where you have you petition, you have a couple of hearings, you know, people get to object if there's a strong objection and then you move on. Um, but in, in Maryland, we make this a matter of statewide law that has to get passed through the through both chambers and signed by the governor. Yeah. So, but because it it's part of, so is it part of the laws that govern farm breweries, right? Yeah. Yeah. So then that would be a change in the liquor law or alcohol. Yeah. Laws. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so it's a change in the license, you know, under you know whatever uh, Article Two, um, and the subsection. I'm not going to get into it, but yeah. the subsection that governs farm breweries, um, 
yeah, you would have an amendment to that part of the Maryland Code. So that means, I know you... You would you amend said you it, not have an amendment. You'd you have a bill wanna, that amended it. You didn't want to speculate, but like this would be one of those insidious public health things that if 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 a farm brewery wanted to add cherries that would be a to change their menu, in alcohol law. it would change an alcohol yeah, if, law. If fruits were not otherwise allowed i forget if, if the items so, yeah so there would there would have to be a public health statement made whether or not you, yeah. you could yeah i mean yes because the change to an alcohol part of the alcohol uh the, art, the alcohol uh, article two which governs alcohol yes i mean in, in theory again without legislative language yeah, it's off, a little it's yeah, a little it's hard to understand but... what the public health statement requirement would look like but in theory yes that would be something that, that they would have to do we are so good at making things complicated <laughs> you know, like there are certain aspects of, of the way that Maryland breweries function that are actually not bad and more liberalized than other states. Yeah. It's that what's happened is, um, you know, there's a new market reality in the in the beer space, right? There aren't four or five major mega breweries doing everything. Um, there's a lot more variety. There's a lot of independent businesses, right? The way this should all be solved is through one omnibus bill that simplifies things, that creates more standardized laws. Yeah, instead that, of all these carve-outs, yeah, yeah, amendments, exactly, right? tweaks. That would the be the best and... option for everyone, uh, including the wholesalers and the retailers. Um, I don't think it's going to happen in the current political environment, but like the reason that Maryland's laws are so complicated is because, you know, you could somebody wanted, you know, there was this specific way of doing the first thing and then somebody wanted to do the second thing but it wasn't allowed so they had to get a, a separate classification done and then within that change that to allow for whatever subset that they wanted to do within it and that's the way maryland has function is that it's been this piecemeal change by change thing that creates this incredibly complex legal landscape and we haven't even gotten to the fact that county by county you have variation in what is it or is not permitted at the retail level yeah which, yeah, because I, I constantly am getting confused by that, too, is something I'm thinking of. Is that a Frederick County regulation? Is it a state regulation? Is it the same in, in Montgomery County? It's just a whole different world of what they have going on down there. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, you know, uh, to give you an example, right, there's uh, what's known as a class of a microbrewery, which has a bit more ability of what they can do. I mean, they have a production limit on, like, classified production breweries which have no production limit but they have a bit more freedom in what they can do because they're classified as being smaller under the law right but in every county besides montgomery i believe uh this is the case if you're going to have a microbrewery license you have to operate a full restaurant because the re the your your like on-premise consumption permit that lets you have a tap room is tied to you having a restaurant in every county besides montgomery which is why almost every brewery in Montgomery County is a class seven and almost every craft brewery outside of Montgomery County is a class five. Yeah, no, um, I, I, it, yeah, it's absurd. It's, I'm boring myself saying this. <laughs> yeah. So it goes back to it, it is. It's very good for your salary <laughs> or your billable time. Yeah, not, yeah, no, I mean, so it's, it's great for, for lawyers, yeah. uh, but you know, we, we are, uh, we, you know, it, it's not, it's not economically efficient. Yeah. It doesn't benefit anyone in the general public. It's just kind of the way things are. Confusing and complex. All right, so let's make um, at least one thing easier for everyone listening. Where do people go to keep up with 
um, the news and everything that you guys are doing? Well, we've got a Facebook page, and we we also have a uh, a web page that's. It's, it's, it? it's the Maryland? acronym. It's mbbwl.org. So if you go to, so that, that webpage is currently being uh, redone a bit. So it's going to look a little rough when you go. <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, if you go to www.mbbwl.org. So if you just remember Marylanders for Better Beer and Wine Laws, it's just the first letter of each of those.org. Yeah, and we'll link to it in the yeah. description. And then show. on Facebook, yeah, it's Marylanders for Better Beer and Wine Laws. If you looked it up on Facebook, there's also a Twitter account that's at mbbwl um, that we're going to be posting stuff to as well. Uh, yeah, once the web page is re- is resuscitated, is fully redone, you'll be able to sign up for for you know the mailing list, and then you'll get updates uh, with action items. Um, we promise you know not to share or sell your data anywhere. Uh, I know people are worried about that, but yeah. we we don't want to, and we have no need to. Um, so, you know, and we're not going to send you random blasts for fundraising. Um, you know, please give us $10. We'll try to at least give you like a cool t-shirt or glass you can buy if we're going to do that. And, um, so this will come out next Wednesday. You, so you said you, you only have one planned event that'll come out after this. Yeah. Yeah. Which one is that? Right. So on February 21st, uh, which is a Thursday from, I believe it's six to ten. Yes, if I remember correct, six to ten at Denison's Brewing Company in Silver Spring, uh, which is a wonderful establishment. Uh, they're going to be hosting us. Uh, so if you come out to that, uh, a portion of what you spend uh, on your draft sales will go to the organization for our uh, grassroots political efforts, um, and you'll get to find out more about what's going on uh, with your local brewery laws and how you can get involved to change them. Uh, for those people that, you know, like we said, we just had Brookville this Saturday. It's going to be after the episode. We're going to uh, Baltimore County Brewing Company. Um, and, yeah, if you just basically follow the Facebook group, we'll have updates with events. The, the goal is to have, if possible, an event at a brewery in every county in the state. Okay. That's that's the goal. Um, I believe at this point there's one in every county, although there might be one or two where there isn't one yet. Um, but, Hopefully that will not be the case much longer. So any county that has a brewery already. Yeah, yeah, that that's the goal. Okay. Um, you know, and certain places like like in you know uh, Baltimore City where there's a lot, or you know more populous counties, we might have a couple of events okay. just because uh, it's a little easier. Um, you know, to be able to get around that way. Uh, but yeah, so please uh, follow one of those sources, keep yourself updated, and we'll be in touch with more information. All right. Is there anything we left out that you would like to cover? Um, so I don't think we actually ran down our agenda items. You're right. We didn't. I got sidetracked with making fun of stuff. So <laughs> yeah, yeah so, so now that people know where to find out how to uh, follow and join, what are the agenda items? Right. So our current agenda items uh, is one, uh, getting rid of the limits on taproom sales. So uh, for those classes of breweries that have a limit on how much total they can sell, uh, we want to change that so that they don't, um, as well as the limits on how much you as a consumer could buy at any one time. Uh, so we want to do that. Um, the second thing we want to do is uh, direct shipment for beer. So a lot, you know, the same way that you have direct shipment for wine, just easily amend that law and add, you know, the word and beer to it. Um, 
So the, the, does that encompass um, from a licensed s- seller? Or no, no, no. So, so the current or... law with regards to wine is from wineries. Okay. And uh, the law that we're thinking of would also include beer. Okay. So, so it doesn't like cover trading, beer trading. No, no, no. So it basically would... allow um, a brewery in Maryland to ship beer directly to you. So that's that's sort of the the second item. The third is change is is rolling back some of the changes to taproom hours. So uh, HB 1283 essentially passed a statewide law that limited when classified brewers could be open. So rolling that back. Um, then we're gonna change the corkage law to include beer. Um, so those are the the kind of the four big items that we're going to try to push for. Yep. What what is the time limit now is it so it's 10 a.m to 10 p.m as the maximum right and that changed the previous law which said that you know the local the the local county could determine what hours a tap room could be opened which is it's kind of weird so basically anytime they when you have a tap room opened if you don't have a tap room you have to have a retail license the same as any bar and what the what what the state did in 2017 is to say that counties can determine when bars could be open except for this one type of bar. Yeah. But they grandfathered in Existing, places. Yeah, that so it's would, it's going If your forward. hour, yeah, if your hours were already past yeah. 10. However, let's say you have a brewery that's in existence but they decide to open a new location like Old Mother. Okay, then they reset to the yeah. new. Okay. Yeah, it makes complete sense. <laughs> yeah, so if they, you know if you if you have a secondary yeah. location um, that it, it would depend, it would potentially so it counts as that. a new, just as a new brewery. Yeah, if it's not under the same license, I believe. Yeah, yeah. I have to double check the language, but I believe that's the status. Okay. Yeah. Um. So th- those are the main issues. Yep. Um. I would assume most people listening care at least about some of those. Right. So I urge everyone to look up on and on Facebook. I believe it's just facebook.com backslash mbbwl yeah yeah it would be the url but again if you just search for the group it's fine and you can follow um and if you uh, you can send a message to the admin um and we're pretty good about getting back to those so you know if there's something if you want to reach out and contact us about something specific um you can just message the admin via facebook and we'll get back to you shortly and i i would guess that uh dcbeer.com will also continue to cover things as yeah uh, i mean to the extent that uh the editors are are willing to let me write about it um yeah i mean i'm hoping that there's somebody else who can take over some of that uh because there's a little you know since i'm now more directly involved there's a little bit more conflict there from a journalistic standpoint uh but we'll we'll see uh yeah but they can at least continue to read your writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you can continue reading all the minutia of Vera Law for as long <laughs> as you want to. And Wes, um, how do people in the... Uh, is it just the only area? We've got go people through? from Columbia. We've okay. got people from Silver Spring that come to our clubs. So and h- it's, how do people find information about your club? Uh, gobrew.org is our webpage. You can sign up for the email list on that page right there, and and we'll get right back to you. Awesome. Well, thank you, gentlemen, so much for taking time to come up and talk about exciting uh, beer loss and uh, 
And thank you for sharing some of your beer with me. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having us. And I uh, thank you everyone for watching and listening. Cheers. Thanks. Thanks Cheers. A lot. Cheers. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook. And if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh my God, that's good.